Hey everybody, this is David Lombardi, and you can catch me, Matt Barrows, and former 49ers defensive end Dennis Brown talking all things 49ers on our podcast, Here's the Catch. Listen for free on Apple every Monday and for weekly bonus episodes exclusively on The Athletic. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Opening win for the 49ers, 31-17 in that Tampa Bay humidity, that heat. Matt Barrows was out there. He's still out there in Tampa Bay. I'm at an airport right now back in the Bay Area connecting via phone. Other Dennis Brown is also on a microphone. I think he's at home in San Francisco. So we're all in different parts of the country again. Technology is linking us to... Uh, be able to discuss a 49ers win, which was obviously sloppy today, guys. But it, what really stood out to me is I think that uh, the, the talent overpowered Tampa Bay today. And it was the talent and positions that we said the 49ers needed to improve in over the past couple years. And I think they, they, they did it at the edge rushing spots, especially. You saw Nick Bosa, D Ford create havoc and the 49ers log four takeaways today. Matt, I, I thought that was the story today. What the 49ers were unable to do in 2018 defensively, they did in loads today to win this football game in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, their, their formula in the offseason was uh, pressure will equal takeaway, and that's exactly what happened today. Now, they added a, a key element to that, and that was Jameis Winston, who I think uh, helped that formula out quite a bit, threw some really bad balls. Uh, you know, There were a couple of times where he would throw a pass, and you could look down at your watch, check the time, and uh, the ball would still be in the air. That's how long it took to, to get to where it was going. And it, it gave the 49ers some very easy picks and obviously two pick sixes. But you're right. I mean, the, the reason why he was making bad passes is because he had guys pressuring him. He had uh, a defensive lineman in his throwing lanes. The 49ers had all nine of their defensive linemen in uniform today. Because of the heat, and they, uh, you know, the idea was to bring wave after wave of defensive linemen, and uh, that's exactly what Chris Kosurik did, and it worked to perfection. And, and going into this game, guys, you knew that Tampa turns the ball over, and that had to be a focus the entire week preparing for Tampa Bay. You put some pressure on Jameis Winston, he's a guy that's going to make a mistake, and he's going to get the ball out there, and he's going to give you some gifts. And this is something that the 49ers could not do last time they played. Last season they played Tampa Bay. They let him get into a rhythm, and he was just kind of throwing pitch. And today what you saw, you saw coverage equaled sack, and sacks or pressure equaled uh, interceptions. And, and that, that's what it's all about. And, and you saw finally today, you saw a D Ford, uh, and you saw Nick Bosa on the field at the same time. And I think – as Nick Bosa gets a little more into, gets more into football playing shape, you're going to see some great things from uh, this defensive front. And, you know, you, you got one sack from Bosa. He should have had three today. So they were really kind of getting after him. They were tired. Third quarter, I was getting a little worried. But, again, with those guys coming in and, and spelling that defensive front, they were able to, in the fourth quarter, make some big plays. That's what you want. I thought there were a couple points there toward the end of the game where the 49ers offense really didn't pull its weight as far as doing what it needed to do to shut the door. And, therefore, it put the defense and that tired defensive line into a compromised position. 
And it's one that we've seen the 49ers, you know, fail in over the past couple of years. It was one of those positions where, hey, if the offense doesn't get it done, the defense is finally cracked for the 49ers in 2017 and 2018. And they've given up that go ahead score. And, and, and of course, they've lost games like this. But, but today, despite the fact that the defense was put into that compromised position more than once, they rose to the challenge. They answered the bell. And it was because of that defensive line that I think was coming in, in waves of greater than four guys because they were able to stay fresh. You mentioned Bosa should have had more than one sack, but I think that the, the big deal there was that he was getting free enough. He was beating enough tackles frequently enough to, to be able to get into position to get those sacks. You saw D Ford working from the other side of the ball, but, but Matt, what about Eric Armstead today? I thought that, you know, you talk about the new edge rushing acquisitions and yes, edge rushing is sexy. It's all good. That's what the 49ers have lacked so badly over the past couple of years. But for me, it's the domino effect. For me, it's the fact that these edge guys are, are in there now for the 49ers. They're making the interior defenders better. They're playing in position now. And I thought because of that, a guy like Eric Armstead was was excellent today. And I think he really benefited from from the personnel enhancements that the 49ers have made. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, he's one of these guys who was better rested throughout the game because he had Nick Bosa coming in for him throughout. Uh, I thought it was uh, kind of uh, very uh, notable that the 49ers had three sacks, and, and all three came from their top three defensive ends. Uh, the, the edges is, were where they were lacking pressure last year. Uh, that's where they uh, focused uh, in the offseason, and, and that's where they got their sacks and their pressure from today. Um, I thought he had a good game. I, I thought that Bosa had a good game. And Bosa was interesting. He said that he, he got stronger as the game went on. And it, and it seemed like he was saying that he was sort of mentally adjusting to the, the pro game. And, and he was starting to, to figure it out. And he's a, he's a really big student of the game. And uh, he was saying that there were some deep uh, differences between the college game and the NFL game. And he felt... Even though, uh, as Dennis noted, that these guys were starting to flag there in the second half, he felt better in the second half. He felt better as the game went on. Um, his, his ankle was definitely bothering him, and you got to wonder whether this is a, a situation sort of like Matt Breida's high ankle sprain last year where you know he, he keeps playing on it, and will it ever totally go away for him? Uh, I'm not sure. He's going to ice it down this week, but... I thought the, uh, the the big takeaway from him is that he felt good with his play after the game um, and uh, felt better and better as the game went on. And it's important for defensive linemen to to say things like that. I mean, what happens is what, what kind of separates a good defensive player and a so-so defensive player is when the game kind of slows down. When you come to the pros and you're you're coming you're coming from your college plan things move a whole lot faster. And once things start slowing down, you can kind of uh, kind of see things happening, see uh, your different run reads, your pass reads. Once it kind of slows down, everything works out for the best. And, and to hear you say Nick Bosa said that he was getting stronger, that says to me that the game was slowing down for him. So now what he has to do is get, get himself into, into some football shape. I mean, a couple of those, those sacks, especially his first one, you know, he beat the offensive tackle inside move clean. He had a clean shot. And, uh, you know, Jamison's the kind of guy you're not going to tackle, you know, high with, with, with uh, one arm. You're going to have to break down, get your feet underneath you, and wrap a guy up like that. And so that's, that's the, the little things 
that you know you don't see in college. And when you get to the pros, you're going to see see quarterbacks that are bigger, faster, and more elusive. So get himself into shape. I, I was impressed with his play. I was surprised how many reps he got. He was out there quite a bit. I think the first third down he was out there. Eric Armstead, I mean, he's a guy, you got those trees in the middle with him and DeForce. DeForce is going to get double teamed. Everybody knows that. Opportunity for Eric Armstead to make some big plays, and he did. Lack of a lot of talent up front, but I think you you have a great point when, when you're talking about those young guys, it's Nick Bosa especially, because the spotlight's on him. He has to have the game slow down for him. He can't let this turn into a whirlwind early. And the quicker that he, you know Nick Bosa is able to to get a handle on that, I think the better the 49ers will be. And and there's perhaps no better example of that than right behind all these defensive linemen and Fred Warner. I mean, this is a guy who at the Mike linebacker position last year openly admitted he acknowledged that things were moving a little bit fast for him because he had to process all the calls. The radio was in his helmet. Uh, he really had to, I think, carry more weight than the 49ers initially anticipated because Reuben Foster was so unavailable uh, last year. But I think a guy that for whom the game has really slowed down and it's really visible is Fred Warner. I, I think that it was really a trial by fire for him last year. But all of a sudden today, you see him forcing, what, two fumbles? Uh, he led the 49ers with nine tackles. He seemed to be all over the football. But most importantly, he was spearheading that takeaway mentality that this defense needs. And when we talk about the foundation being the defensive line, well, it's also important that the guys behind the defensive line do their part, carry their weight. Obviously, in the secondary, we saw Tarverius Moore uh, knock away that uh, uh, pass on fourth down and goal in the end zone. We saw the pick six from Richard Sherman. We saw a pick six from Mikella Witherspoon. But I think in the middle of all that stuff behind the defensive line, you, you have to acknowledge Fred Warner because uh, he, he uh, he's really – grown into comfort in this scheme wouldn't you say Matt yeah great game from Fred Warner and uh you know notable for him and the linebackers uh was the fact that Quan Alexander left after one quarter so uh that that uh, a lot of experience went to the sideline went to the locker room when uh Alexander was ejected and, and uh Dre Greenlaw as well as he's played uh for a rookie for a fifth round pick this offseason he was supposed to have a, a fairly minor role today. He was going to be the Sam linebacker, which is the uh, the linebacker that uh, comes off the field when they're in their nickel coverage. So when Kwan Williams comes onto the field, um, Dre Greenlaw was supposed to go off. Well, when Alexander gets ejected, Dre Greenlaw, you know, starts to have an every down role, and um, I, I didn't think he played all that great. I mean, uh, I, I think that uh, he played like a rookie. Um, as like I said, as well as he's played, he is a fifth round pick. He is sort of still learning the way that Warner was last year. So my point is that I think Warner had to do a lot uh, in the middle of that defense today. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It was a great game for him. And, and I don't know if you guys notice Fred Warner, when he was tackling the ball, he was punching the ball. That's how he got those two balls out. Similar to a D Ford, when he rushes the passer, he doesn't worry about making the sack or making a big hit on the quarterback. He just swats the ball. And once you swap the ball, you're changing possession. And that's what I saw. I, I just noticed that. I was like, wow, he's not going for the big hit. He's just hitting the ball. And he did it twice today. And those are two big plays. In the conditions that we saw in Tampa today, I mean, this is something that we previewed the game with. Matt wrote about it a lot last week. When you have 90-degree weather with intense humidity, 
you have to find a way to control the tempo of the game, keep the defense off the field. And guys, early in this game, I know the first drive for the 49ers was good after the block punt and, and it looked like they would score, but then it got called back. But after that first drive, it, it didn't look too bright for the 49ers. There was a point there where Tampa Bay had over 13 minutes of possession and the 49ers didn't even have five minutes of possession. And, and if that trend would have kept up throughout the course of the game, then there's no way the 49ers are winning that game. Then they're really wearing down down the stretch of this football game. And, and I don't think they're able to put Tampa Bay away, even if they do have a talent advantage. So I think that key to all of that were, were these takeaways to, to really stem the tide, give the offense a chance to dig in. And by the time everything was said and done, the 49ers won the time of possession battle in this game narrowly. But if you look at it from the point of when they were losing it by eight minutes early on, then, then they actually won it by quite a bit down the stretch. So I think the takeaways were key to that. And I think that's a perfect segue to the other side of the football where we're going to have a lot of criticism now for Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan because the offense was not sharp today. But if there's one thing they did all right and one very necessary thing to win this game, it's that they did not go three and out. They had nine possessions, if you don't count the last kneel down at the end, and they only went three and out once. And and Matt, we talked about this on the podcast last year before Dennis joined us, but this is something that the 49ers did exceptionally well in 2017 after Garoppolo took over and and they did it well again in this game. If you only go three and out once in nine drives, you, you are giving your defense a very significant favor um, every single time you're out there because they get, you know, just a couple extra minutes of rest. And I think today that was really important. Yeah, no, no doubt. When it's 92 degrees at kickoff, that's, uh, that's very important. Um, but they did sputter at times and uh, yeah, Garoppolo deserves uh, a lot of the blame. And uh, I think you're right. I think Shanahan deserves some of it, too. There, there was a, uh, a point in the third quarter where I thought that the 49ers were starting to take control of the game. They had the lead. Uh, they came out, and they, went, they were in 22 personnel, two tight ends, two running backs, one of them obviously being the, the fullback, Kyle Juszczyk. And um, uh, the, the, the Buccaneers' defense was starting to flag as well. I mean, they were, they were dealing with a the heat. They, in fact, they were in the dark uniforms for some odd reason. Um, and I felt like, okay, now the 49ers are starting to take control. They're starting to wear down the, uh, the Buccaneers' defense. Uh, Matt Breida had a couple of first-down runs where he mostered, had a long run. He almost broke for a touchdown. And then... Kyle Shanahan did a, a very typical Kyle Shanahan thing is that he he didn't stick with a good thing. He tried to go for the jugular. Uh, he, he tried to get Marquise Goodwin free on a on a big pass play. He was well covered. The ball was uh, batted down. There was uh, another run for no gain after that, and then another incompletion, and that was one of, uh, it may have been Mish Wisnowski's first punt of the game or one of his first punts. But my point being is that they had them on the ropes, and uh, just like that uh, Falcon Super Bowl from a few years ago, they let the defense off the hook. And uh, that's, that's been a steady Kyle Shanahan criticism over the years. And uh, I, I wonder if uh, Shanahan is sort of sharing the blame with, with Garoppolo for some of the, uh, uh, the miscues on Sunday. And what stuck out to me, guys, uh, I'm a defensive lineman. I look at a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, and and for some reason, maybe I've been listening to too much talk radio, but I thought he was an accurate quarterback. I thought his fundamentals, his feet work, were so I mean, was 
fantastic. I didn't see it. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if it's the knee, but today throws were off. He was very inaccurate. Um, the only time I saw a receiver, you know, that looked like could catch a ball was was George Kittle. And he had the one to Richie James, which was a nice throw. But I, I didn't see the accuracy that that I thought he had. And he felt it looked like he was a little he was thrown off his back foot a little bit. And again, with, with, with this offense, it's something we've been talking about for a couple years. Once they get in the red zone, it becomes very, very conservative and you can't punch it in. You, you have to bring in your kicker and get three points. And yes, two, two touchdowns were called back for penalties, but you know, I, I'm just not seeing the accuracy right now in Jimmy Garoppolo. You're right. I, you could count, I think, up to eight throws today that he just straight up missed. And obviously the pick six was extremely ugly. That was the one that bit the 49ers hard at the time. They were lucky that you know, nothing else was quite as damaging because then you probably lose that game if you have, uh, you know, two pick sixes like Jameis Winston threw on the other side. So luckily the 49ers for them, they they uh, outscored and, and outdueled Tampa Bay in the battle of the pick sixes. They they only threw one compared to two on the other side. But uh, you, you think of the late throw to Kendrick Bourne that was a little high and too far high and, and behind him that could have moved the chains and and push things forward to the, for the 49ers. You think of the one that was behind Marquise Goodwin, I think that Matt just mentioned that could have been in a better spot. And, and I think you're absolutely right. This was not a day of pinpoint accuracy for Jimmy Garoppolo. You have to wonder if Kyle Shanahan factored that into his thinking about this game. If, if he thought, okay, yes, this is Jimmy Garoppolo's first game back after an ACL tear. He, he may not be totally precise. I don't think any coach is going to factor that ugly of a pick six into any thinking whatsoever. So, that's probably why Kyle was was so visibly upset with Jimmy Garoppolo on the sideline. But uh, I think undoubtedly the 49ers want this to be cleaned up over the course of the next few weeks. You you maybe have one mulligan, two mulligans today. The defense obviously gave the, the offense a mulligan with its play. But by week three, week four, the 49ers need to have Jimmy Garoppolo back to that 2017 form where he's throwing into shoeboxes because in the NFL – you have to do that. The the, the lanes are not going to be that big. Today, I think, uh, was an exception. The Tampa Bay defense was tired, and the 49ers didn't get away with it, and they did move the ball when they absolutely needed to. That touchdown to Richie James was obviously something that they did when they absolutely, when they absolutely needed to. But I, I think th this offense was disjointed in, in a lot of ways, and that goes back to the quarterback and the play caller. One thing that stood out to me is that they weren't able to run up the middle at all today. And, you know, and Dominican Sue is, is there for Tampa Bay. That's probably a big reason why, but it seemed to me, Matt, that they had a lot more success. The 49ers did running the outside zone, but then they would get away from it as soon as it, it worked a few times in a row. So that's why I say that the performance was disjointed. So there were, there were some things that you like if, if you're uh, looking for the 49ers to produce offensively, but uh, more things that you don't like, I think today. And, it showed up in the stat sheet, only 3.1 yards per carry, and Garoppolo uh, didn't have a flashy performance at all. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, it was very disjointed. It was sloppy at times, and uh, Garoppolo actually uh, completed, and um, I, I was surprised by this. It didn't sort of meet what I saw with my eye. He completed almost 67% of his passes, which is a, a great rate. Uh, but uh, he only averaged a little over six yards of completion, and, and usually he's up around eight, or he was up around nine in, during that uh, that five-game stint in 2017. 
And, and at one point, uh, he was throwing a lot of screens, uh, you know, a lot of short passes, and, and I thought that it was Shanahan sort of trying to get him into a rhythm. Um, it, it, disjointed is a, is a great word for his game because he threw that god-awful pass to Tevin Coleman where he just wondered as soon as the ball left his hand what he was doing. As Dennis noted, he threw off his back foot a lot, and that was a, a case in point. He threw that off his back foot to a running back who was being covered by a cornerback with another cornerback sitting over the top of it. So it was just a, a, a pass that everybody in the stadium knew was was a bad ball. And But a little while after that, he threw that beautiful pass to, to Richie James. Uh, so you've got this Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde thing going on with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but it was more, uh, sadly, it was more Mr. Hyde uh, dur- during that game. The, uh, the, the James pass was the exception uh, for Garoppolo on Sunday. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm going to stick to what, what's being said out there. He's got to knock the rust off. He hasn't played that much. But he's got to get, uh, fundamentally, he's got to get back to where he was when we saw that that six or five or six game winning streak he had when he's he's throwing receivers open. Uh, he's kind of threading the needle. Uh, and uh, he's making good decisions. That that pick six, he, he from, from snap, he was staring at – at, at Tevin Coleman and he he was going to throw that and he threw the ball the DB broke on it and uh, Coleman had didn't even come out his break yet so that was a bad decision I think with more time with more reps you know he he has to know the offense he's had the playbook for you know a year and a half now so I just want to see the accuracy come back I mean when you you know balls were going inside you know, when the receiver was going outside and outside when they were going inside. So he's just going to get back to the accuracy. accuracy. And he's got, you know, George Kittle is his, is his safety blanket. I mean, he's he went to him. He went to him often. And uh, those, those yards after catch were golden today. Ten targets for George Kittle. No other 49ers target had more than three targets in this game. So that's obviously a whole heck of a lot more. And that means that the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo – are relying very, very heavily on George Kittle. And I would almost say that they're relying too heavily on him. I mean, this is something that we talked about in the off season. I, I, I just went back and reread my breakdown from January about w- what the 49ers would try to make their, their passing attack look like. And this was before free agency and before they, they drafted Debo Samuel, who, uh, who I thought had a couple nice catches, especially early on today, but then he disappeared a little bit later. But and they also used the draft pick on on Jalen Hurd, who obviously didn't play today because of the back injury. But uh, the, the 49ers, I think, with their offseason acquisitions, went out looking to bolster the receiving room so that they wouldn't be so reliant on George Kittle. Because obviously, when a tight end puts up 1,300 yards like he did last year, which was an NFL record for the position, uh, that means that you're leaning very heavily on him, especially when nobody else is putting up big numbers. It was Kendrick Bourne who was the team's uh, leading wide receiver last year. And he only had what, like 487 yards on the season. So it was about a third of what, what the tight end put up for the 49ers and they need to balance that out more. It didn't happen today because Kittle was, was the guy that Jimmy Garoppolo seemed to be able to trust and have that rapport with time after time. When, when Jimmy was throwing to the other receivers, it didn't look nearly as comfortable. You didn't feel nearly as good as when he was throwing to, George Kittle, the, the Tevin Coleman throw, obviously, uh, was uh, pr- probably the, the most ghastly one. But, uh, I, you know, 
we talk about Marquise Goodwin dropping a pass. We talk about Debo Samuel disappearing a little bit later on into the game. And uh, just in general, we talk about uh, Dante Pettis not really playing all that much. I think that was one interesting storyline from this game because Pettis was the guy that Nick Mullins really leaned on outside of uh, George Kittle down the stretch last year, but didn't really seem to be a big part of the mix. Well, only one catch, right, Matt? Yeah, only one catch. He, he came in, uh, it, it took him a, a whole quarter to, to get into the game even. He, he actually caught a seven-yard pass on his one snap, but this is following the pattern that that we saw in the offseason and in training camp for, for Shanahan and uh, and Pettis. Uh, Shanahan wants more, and uh, Pettis obviously isn't giving it to him. Um, he, he had been injured a little bit with a, a, a groin strain, uh, but he practiced starting on Monday, uh, going into the Tampa game, and um, you know he may have been limited a bit, but it didn't seem to slow him down much. So Shanahan still, you know, pressing the button on on Pettis, trying to light the fire under him, and, and obviously isn't seeing what he wants to see. I, I did think, uh, for as uh, pedestrian as uh, Debo Samuel's numbers were, I thought it was a good start for him, being being a rookie and all. Uh, he had one catch. On a, on a third down play that uh, was just uh, quintessential for that, that Z position, which is uh, an over-the-middle crossing route catch where you're catching it in traffic. And, and he did that and uh, not only got the reception, he bowled over a Buccaneers defender, knocked the guy's helmet off, and uh, went upfield for a first down. That's exactly what Shanahan wants to see from that that uh, position. So that, that's something that he'll, he'll definitely highlight when they – go over the game film tomorrow with the team. Uh, I'm sure there were other mistakes that he made. Uh, he, he certainly had the fumble that, that cost the 49ers three points right before the first half. But I thought it was a, a positive, bold, sort of gritty uh, early start for Debo Samuel and, and a good step in the right direction. And you look at this receiver. I mean, the receiver, the receiving crew, so much talent. I mean, you've got tons of talent there. And it's going to be interesting to see who kind of stands up and says, hey, I want to be the number one receiver. Right now, it's, it's your tight end. And, and, you know, you need a number one receiver, someone who can make big plays. I know it sounds like George Kittle, but you, you need a number one receiver that can take the top off uh, a, a defense, keep them secondary, honest, you know, run a route in the middle, you know, seam routes, big plays, big explosive plays. And I, I just want to see who kind of stands up. Debo, I, I mean, I, I was impressed with Debo. He's a rookie. He was out there. He was giving the ball. He made plays. Yes, he had to fumble. He's got to work on his ball security. I hope that doesn't mess with his his uh, his confidence. But, you know, I, I think he's going to be a guy. He reminds me of Anquan Bolden, an old, a, a younger Anquan Bolden. He He runs with such power. And he's so aggressive with the way he catches the ball. So, but I, I want to see who's going to stand up in this in this receiving crew. I mean, who's going to be the guy who wants to be the number one receiver? Fascinating, because I think anything with a Kyle Shanahan offense, because he is innovative and because he is using guys at different positions, he is preaching that offensive versatility. You mentioned Kittle almost taking on a number one receiver role because he has that kind of speed and skill set to to really make moves in the open field. I think when you combine that with this new crop of receivers they brought in over the past couple of years, to me, it's fascinating to see how the 49ers will operate the mix and match to see who's going to seize a role or to see who's going to fall back a little bit like Dante Pettis. And 
that's going to be a, a developing saga over the course of this season because we're going to find out what this 49ers offense and what this 49ers team will become. Right now, I think it's very unmolded clay. They're able to, you know, win today despite the fact that everything, especially on the offensive end, was sloppy. But I think that continuing next week at Cincinnati, we're going to start to see how this is, is going to shape up. And, and if the 49ers are going to be a good football team this year and a very productive offense, they're going to need that counterpart to George Kittle. Ten targets for Kittle and only three to the next highest guy is, is not going to do it, I think, against better teams when the offense needs to, needs to deliver more, when the defense, the defense is not going to give you two pick sixes every single week. You just can't count on that. So I think you, you make a great point there, Dennis. And then, Matt, you know, we're talking about Cincinnati now, talking about spinning this forward. Uh, you were on site today in Tampa Bay. Normally, in the past, we've had a much longer injury list to go through, but it, it there still is stuff to discuss after this one because, based on what I understand, Tevin Coleman left it in a boot, right? He did. Uh, I was looking at him. I remember, late in the second quarter, we started seeing a lot more Raheem Mostert, and um, Matt Breida was dealing with, with heat issues at that point. So you figured, okay, that's why Mostert is getting all these carries. Well, it was a bit of a double whammy at that point because— not only was was uh, Breida on the sideline, but Tevin Coleman was was dealing with an ankle injury, and I watched him at the end of the first half, and he hands his helmet to a, a staffer, and um, he jogged off the field, and, and jogged quickly off the field. He's one of one of the first guys into the locker room, so I figured, okay, it's not all that serious. But then, of course, he didn't play the whole second half, and he's going to get an MRI on Monday in Youngstown, and it didn't sound as if the 49ers think that he's going to play this week uh, in Cincinnati, perhaps not uh, in week three against Pittsburgh. So they're going to be without their starter, it it looks like. Um, We'll have to wait and see what those uh, imaging results show. But uh, that would mean that Wilson gets called up from the practice squad, and and Wilson uh, looked good last year as a rookie. He looks even better, bigger, more physical uh, this year uh, than he did last year. So um, that's a a positive, but the 49ers, you know, top two choices at that spot, Jarek McKinnon and Tevin Coleman, and oh, by the way, their best uh, wide receivers or best uh, pass catchers from the the running back group uh, might not be with the team until after the bye. So uh, that's a pretty big uh, uh, missing element, I think, that they're going to have against uh, the Bengals and Steelers. And, you know, let's think about this. I think the 49ers still have about $21 million to go out and maybe find. I mean, Jeff Wilson, we know what he brings to the table. Uh, Molster always runs well. Matt Breida is is a fine running back. But you've got a couple bucks. You might want to go out and, and investigate or make some phone calls and see who's out there. I can think of one person. I can think of one person, too. Yes, and you guys are talking about with all those rumors. It's interesting to me because this is something that we saw coming. I was about to say could have seen coming, but we did see it coming because literally every single 49ers running back got hurt last year, at least minorly, but a lot of major injuries there. And it caused guys to, to miss some significant time. Matt Breida didn't miss much time, but he, he played hurt last season. And, uh, you know, it's probably a, a, a byproduct of, of the size of these Shanahan running backs. They are a little bit smaller. And I know running backs around the league are running a bit smaller than, than before, but that was one of the most injured position groups on a very injured 49ers roster last season. So 
the minute they were able to keep Jeff Wilson on the practice squad this year without seeing him get poached by another team, I thought that was that was a big deal because you, you know you hate to anticipate it because you you never want anybody to get hurt, but but you do have to be ready for it. You, I think it was a foregone conclusion that they'd be down a running back or two at some point this year, just based on prior history and the truths of, of football in the modern game. And there you have it. Tevin Coleman may be out here for a little while, and, and that's going to allow them to, you know, possibly bring up Jeff Wilson or, hey, maybe they make a bigger move. Who knows? The NFL certainly has become unpredictable here over the past few days, hasn't it? Well, if we're talking about uh, Melvin Gordon, then we're talking about not only signing him to a big deal, but you have to trade uh, something to the the Chargers. So I think that that's probably not going to happen. I think the 49ers are crossing their fingers that Devin Coleman um, isn't out for a long time. And like I said, you know, when you see a guy running off the field, it sort of denotes that it's not a, a real serious injury now. A high ankle sprain, as we all know, can be a, a four, five, six-week injury. So we'll have to wait and see what those uh, results show. But uh, I'm pretty sure that the 49ers are going to stick to their their own guns uh, this season at running back. Yeah, and, and, and that room has proven that the next man up is just as good as the man that might have went down. And I, like I said, Matt Breida, uh, Molster, and if Jeff Wilson comes up, I think they'll be fine in a running back. It's a position where they definitely have depth, but they definitely need to have depth because you're already down before you even play a single snap this year. You're already down your highest paid guy in, in Jarek McKinnon. And, and last season, I think they were able to weather that storm because uh, if there's one thing that Kyle Shanahan does do extremely well offensively, and I think that his dad did it really well coaching offensively, Mike Shanahan, is finding running back talent and, and plugging it in and making it work. And, and the 49ers – um, have done that very well. Obviously, Mike Shanahan's Broncos back in the day, but did that maybe better than anybody in, in NFL history. So that's a position group where I agree with you guys. I think the 49ers will find a way to make it work in-house, but that it still is an area of concern and an, and an area to keep an eye on as the 49ers move to week two in Cincinnati. Well, guys, uh, we've just about hit our time limit. It, it was fun doing this again from different spots. That's uh, kind of how it's going to have to work now that Matt is going to be away from the Bay Area for, for over a week because the 49ers will be practicing in Youngstown, Ohio before their game against the Cincinnati Bengals. That way they can stay over there in the Eastern time zone, not get messed up by flying back and forth across countries. So um, best uh, best wishes to you, Matt, as you travel from Florida to Ohio tomorrow. But we'll talk to you a little bit later this week. And also thank you to Dennis Brown, who joined us from San Francisco today. We're looking forward to all being back in the same spot. But after the... 49ers first game a win this season 31 to 17 over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this has been the here's the catch podcast I'm David Lombardi signing out